This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Begut Oli, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Catalan for You Have Drunk Oil. <laughs> Jeez, I hope you haven't. Oh, I have <laughs> Well, oh, it's Rob an idiom, hasn't. Danny, uh, for um, that you've messed something up. Uh, yeah, I guess drinking couple... oil would be considered a, a pretty big mess up. Yeah, I'm not sure if it refers to like olive oil or motor oil, oh, but I did like point. the car oil connection. Yeah, um, that works. A couple mess ups in this race, uh, which we'll get into. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's Danny O'Dwyer. I'm Drew Scanlon. How are you, Danny? I'm good. Um, that race was boring, but we're gonna make we're gonna make it entertaining. <laughs> that's our job. That's why it's a we're strategy here. race, Danny. That's it was. That's yeah. true. Find and replace boring. That's true. I did fall asleep for twenty laps in the middle, literally, but that's mostly because it was a six a.m. race as well. Do you did you ever play um, um, America's Army? Yes, the American military developed uh, yes. video game <laughs> entertainment property. Yes, I did play. They had zone. a they had a chat filter um, <laughs> in the game where if you typed camping, like that guy is camping, it would yeah. it would re- it would replace it to that guy is using tactics. Oh, you're kidding me! <laughs> yeah. Wow, censorship by the U.S. Army, unbelievable. Also, wasn't that the game where if you you both played the the army yeah you were like the other, the other side always looked like generic terrorists terrorists yes. yeah great dehumanizing <laughs> love it good anyway. stuff also joining us rob zachney how are you rob not bad the bridge level in america's army is pretty good like it had <laughs> that had one banger shooter level not gonna lie my favorite map was insurgent camp and the, the filter even filtered that out so it's like oh my favorite map is insurgent use tactics wow You're, you were kidding Perfect. me yes oh my god wow uh, video, we don't deserve video games they're so good uh if you're new to this podcast welcome <laughs> and if you are new to formula one itself uh we've got an episode just for you our preseason primer episode assumes no prior f1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is so if you'd like to go back and listen to that and get caught up on everything that's episode 137 also the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com shift f1 where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons uh you can also hop into the patron only discord uh, but those bonus podcasts and stuff cover racing documentaries and films, uh, fun video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. What's going on this month, Danny? Yeah, we had the uh, the Spain track walk went up um, where I, I drove around uh, Barcelona. Barcelona, I keep saying it wrong. Barcelona, Catalonia, 
in my driving setup with my my wheel and everything set up at home. Um, I did accidentally post this to all patrons, um, so a lot of people oh. got to have a taste of <laughs> the wonderful track walk meals we've been uh, setting up, and we got a couple of extra media pass patrons out of that. So I guess thanks everyone. Um, but uh, we will continue to do those. We'll have a podcast later this month for Drive to Survive, the third episode, uh, and also I am going to be recording my card pack opening um oh after God. monaco so once You're we're done with the YouTuber. casinos we will uh exactly we'll get to it i'm just saying card pack though i'm not i'm not advertising the specific company that is doing it um, massive thanks of course to all of our incredible uh, title sponsors will romf reagan jason kelly jason chadwick umberto roca bailey foot abdullah Althani, sam g greg salt circuit demon Oh Yes Food, P.S. Congrats on the new house, Drew Stewart, Jack Venn, Connor McManners, and of course, BPM, which stands for, I have figured it out, Big Probel, Promble, sorry, <clears throat> Big Promble Motorsports. Big Promble. Big Promble. What up, Big Promble? Uh, B- awesome. B-M. BPM, oh. Oh, the BPM. <laughs> uh, the, the Brombles per minute. Uh, today... <laughs> The Spanish Grand Prix, everyone. What do we say? We hop right into the starting lineup. Let's do it. Uh, leading off. I don't know why I'm speaking baseball here. Lewis Hamilton, <laughs> 100th pole position. It's a lot. That's a lot of pole positions. Yeah. Uh, behind him, Max Verstappen in second, and then Valtteri Bottas in third. Ham- familiar top three. Verbot. Hamverbot. Hamverbot. Uh, Charles Leclerc in fourth place, however. Yeah. Starting fourth on the grid, second row. Esteban Ocon in fifth could mm. potentially have been even higher, apparently, but for an engine misfire on the final qualifying lap. Wow. Uh, Carlos Sainz, uh, the other Ferrari in sixth place. Daniel Ricciardo in seventh. Uh, Sergio Perez in eighth. Apparently, he was hampered by a shoulder problem in qualifying. Uh, he, he was straight up. First yeah, one. he was like sixth. It seemed like he was just very weak. Was it a shoulder issue? It was in the end. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, he, he spun on his first run in Q3, uh, leaving it all for the second run, but he uh, he ended up in eighth. Uh, just behind him, Lando Norris, he was held up by Mazepin in uh, qualifying one, which earned Mazepin a penalty. Um, and rounding meme, up the top 10. Is, uh, Mazepin spinning is the last year's, is, is the old meme. The new meme is Mazepin getting blue flags and blocking people. Yeah. Um, Fernando Alonso. 10th place behind him. Stroll, Gasly, Vettel, who also has uh, the aero upgrades this time. Um, Antonio Giovinazzi, George Russell in 15th. Uh, another Q2 appearance for Georgie Boy. Way to go, George. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda in 16th. Kimi Räikkönen in 17th. He got a puncture in free practice three after he ran over one of the embedded cameras in the curb. Oh, wow. Which That's was wild. Lucky. Never seen that before. Um, 18th was Mick Schumacher, 19th, Nicholas Latifi, and 20th, Nikita Mazepin. He qualified 20th and then got a three-place grid penalty, so... Uh, 23rd. Yeah. <laughs> Paint in some new uh, boxes. <laughs> he also ended up in the gravel twice in the first 10 minutes of free practice one. Get it out of the way, man. Just, like, flush it out of your system. Just The commentators even thought they were seeing a replay again when they showed <laughs> oh, the second one. They were like, oh, nope, that's... Uh, that's a new one. Oh no. Oh no. Uh Sunoda though in sixteenth had some uh some choice words after the fact. Rob, I think you uh 
you pointed this out. Well, I mean, yeah, he um, basically he had a they do that. They do that interview uh, for people who get knocked out in Q1. And he said some things that seemed like he was arguing that the team was setting up the car differently and like that uh, Gasly has a better car than he does. Um, And the awkward thing for me in all this is like he apologized for his outburst. And uh, I think Jensen Button was on the broadcast saying that like, you know, you can't really do that. You can't really speak that way. Um, Certainly not a France toss run team. And all of that is true. But at the same time, the, Dude is a native Japanese speaker with a uh, like a lot of classic English as second language issues. And so to an extent, like the degree to which he's kind of being subjected to the same like language parsing as other F1 drivers is bugging me. I heard that interview. I thought it was ambiguous what he was even saying, because Mm. it also seemed like he was talking about like Gasly's setup is the opposite. And everyone is like. He can't say that. And I'm like, it also sounds like he might be talking about different, like, handling results. Like, that there might be some real inconsistencies with what is being reported across the team. I don't exactly know what he was driving at. He apologized, um, and he clearly does sort of rage out in the car and and blow up. (laughs) Like, that's, that's not great. But it was a little bit, not just unfair, I am really skeptical that people properly understood what he was driving at. And I'd be really curious, like to see what he would say in a Japanese language outlet that is translated, uh, you know, back in English. Cause I am just not really confident that the way he's coming across in English actually tells us much about what he, how he regards the situation in the team. Yeah, I'm with Rob on this. I think um it's I think I think it doesn't help that he's such a a, a fiery character on team radio that then people are like inferring that he's impatient or or difficult or stuff like that. You know, I don't necessarily it's like sports. It's like when people shout on a soccer pitch or something. It's it's not the same as when they come off, right? And I'm I'm kind of less, you know, concerned about that but i do think there is a lot of yeah like uh, the in the way in which we like we love to read into the minutiae of what people say you know and obviously you know go back 10 years and look at f1 interviews look they don't they didn't do as many interviews they weren't as good at the interviews the post-rate interviews were always really awkward and weird um whereas now everyone is so savvy like you yeah. can talk to like nicholas latifi and he's able to give like a punchy answer like it's part of the gig and we're sort of yeah laboring Sonoda with that expectation with like a really tricky language transition I, yeah I, I think certain mountain, mountains being made out of mohills a little bit with regards to this um, and you, considering what happened in the race now the whole thing is actually quite funny well yeah <laughs> um, do, do you guys think I, I this may just be me but I, I detect a little bit of a like a tone of when people talk about Yuki sometimes it's like he should be grateful that he has a spot because he's a rookie, and so he's not entitled to have complaints about stuff. Do you guys feel that at all? There was definitely... So I I think with Button in particular, it was a that's not how things are done. I think part of it is that is like there is a sense of this is what professionalism looks like in F1. Uh, And I did feel like with that remark that like, well, he's, you know, he's part of a good team. Franz Toss runs a a good team. 
I don't know. There there are elements of like, yeah, he's a rookie. He was you know promoted. Um, it it does feel like the dynamics around him are weird. I don't I don't love them. Um, and I think it's one of those things where this could end up affecting his career because like it's a narrative that's kind of being built around this yeah. guy for races yeah. in. And I think that narrative is partly based on just some weird interpretations of what's going on and uh, some admittedly awkward results out on track. Um, but these, you know, he's not the first driver to have these struggles. Yeah. And like in a 20, whatever, how many races is it? 23 races still this year? Yeah. Yeah. yeah in a season like that, like if he gets a couple of good results or like, you know, fine results under his belt a lot of this stuff will be lost in the wash you know what i mean like we're early in the season um but i but i am i do agree with rob that like it is difficult to shake a first impression and you know he's lucky mazapin is around <laughs> a little bit <laughs> because i think maybe he'd have a unfairly i think maybe he'd have a bit more negative attention if that wasn't the case um but he's a good driver and you know i hopefully you know he'll f- Marry with that car. We we have talked a lot about the fact that he is not the only driver who's having trouble with their new car. It's just part of the thing. There's this actually does remind me. I don't know if we talked about this, but when Montoya was giving an interview a few weeks ago, just being asked about the state of the sport, one of the remarks he made was that in his day, teams worked with drivers to set up the car. And yes, we talked now, about this a couple of weeks back, didn't we? Now yeah. the mode is very much we set up our car the way we like, and your job is to learn to drive it. And Montoya, who was a good driver, like unimpeachable source here, it was basically saying like, it's way trickier now because like people have different drivers, driving styles. And you used to have a situation where you could like tailor uh, your ride a little bit to your style. And now it's very much the drivers being treated as this like interchangeable part. And so to a degree, like there might the other thing that might be being underestimated here is that Sunoda might be driving a car that is uniquely difficult for him. And it might be the case that like Tarasso isn't like making those adaptations because the thing is defined by Gasly and running in his style and his pace. So I think that's the other thing I would point out is it might, this might be a harder sport to transition into than it used to be. And with some of those veteran Look, drivers I mean, having their own issues, it might be harder yeah, to transition. Yeah, like Ricardo's having the same problem in the yeah. McLaren. Perez is having the same problem in the Rebel, where they're having to, like, relearn everything. Um, yeah, I, I totally see it. And also, like, look at Gasly. Like, Gasly's been at that team for a long time. I know he had his little sojourn with Red Bull, but, like, you know, he's been in that garage for a long period of time. And also, what was interesting, we'll talk about it later, but, like, you know, after this race and in other races recently, Hamilton has talked a lot about how much work he's done with the team on the car. Like, he's not that driver who gets the car handed to him. He's in there, you know what I mean? So, yeah, the, definitely a, a a salient point by Rob. Well, let's take it to the race, everybody. Dan, you want to take us through the start? Sure. A uh, lot of talk this week about the right side of the grid. Um, it comes up fairly often, the idea that the... um other side the uh sorry he was on no if i do my visual math here 
Hamilton was It'd on be the, the left, left, I think. Left side, yeah, you're right. So that there's more rubber basically on the drivers, the driving side of the track as opposed to the inside lane. Um on the start finish straight where you tend not to have as many cars going on it especially this weekend because we had uh not one not two but three formula three races racing um before the race uh the formula one race on sat on sunday so there was a lot of action going on there was a lot of qualifying there was a lot of um uh, cars on the track so a lot of um uh concerns from hamilton uh that vettel might have a better start because there is more rubber on the ground there which means there's more grip sorry for stopping you're right um so off they got and that appeared to be the case uh, not just for Verstappen but also for Charles Leclerc behind him um, decent little battle into that first turn Hamilton wisely got out of the way of Verstappen um, into that right hander uh, from turn one leading into turn two um, which made him lose a bit of time on Verstappen but ultimately saved his race perhaps because um, looked like there would have been uh, rear contact front contact with Hamilton rear contact with Verstappen which often does more damage to a front wing than it does a tire or a bit of both maybe um, but then behind him also interestingly uh, Bottas got nabbed by uh, Charles Leclerc who managed to get up the inside of him um, and aside from that there was a bit, little bit of battling around uh, in the back of the pack a couple of drivers moved up um, decent spots but uh, surprisingly little contact considering how many rookies we have and uh, how cool the track temps were I, I think by this stage the r- sounded like rain was probably not going to happen is that right yeah i think there were a little little drops before the race started but once it did it it cleared right up mm. um, um i'll just say this so like leclerc making that pass basically blew up botas's race right from the start and i think mm-hmm. one thing that emerged real fast is that catalonia remains a terrible track for overtaking um it was clear Valtteri had the pace on Leclerc or should have, but, and this is, becomes a relevant thing later, that's sector three. You cannot keep it within DRS range yeah. uh, when you cross the detection zone. And so you come onto the straight and you're never in DRS striking distance and you never get the toe. And that's the only place effectively that you can execute this move. I know we saw some action around like turn four, but like really this was a, you need that turn one, you need that main straight to turn one run uh, to pull this off. And the circuit uh, is really well tuned to prevent that from happening unless there's some major uh, like differences between car performance. And so like watching Botas fall away, it was like, oh shit, Catalonia is still bad. We, we, it was interesting because turn 10, I was wondering, hypothesizing last week, whether or not that would uh, give us a bit more overtaking because the car, cars can drive around that. It definitely did in F1. It did in F3. So the relative speed difference uh, was, a, I mean, there's more overtaking in F3 anyway. There's like twice as many cars. And they're not going as fast, but um, 10 was definitely an option. But I do wonder if the if the increased speed through 10, the lack of that hard braking zone that we used to have, um, actually made it even harder to close that gap in the second in the third sector because there was less of those little small little turns where everyone's going Faster slow corner can... means more aero dependence right like that's generally right. the rule and so if you want like that that was probably going to make it harder i think norris was saying this before the race is like hey y'all shouldn't expect turn 10 to do anything good for overtaking uh <laughs> right. i also noticed that after this race um once again they're like you know, we're not sure about that final chicane in Sector 3. And I'm like, no, you shouldn't be because it sucks. Like, yeah. Catalonia has that beautiful 
outside corner that flows in this loop out to the main straight. And that's real good. That's a, you know, it's like this, this long radius turn. Um, and instead in sector three, I feel like where people were losing the time it would turn 10 may have been one issue, but then the way you got to check up to make that really hard chicane in sector three feels yeah. like that was the final like nail in the coffin of any sort of main straight turn one overtakes. And it just, it sucked. Uh, didn't, <laughs> didn't like it. Um, and I don't know my notes. The next thing that really kind of happened was the, uh, Sunoda thing. Yeah. So he lap eight, uh, his engine just stops. Um, and something similar happened in free practice two after he went over a curb. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, he was <laughs> talking after qualifying about his cars, his car's not great. And here, uh, <laughs> it stopped working. So, um, this, uh, brings out a safety car, which has a lot of strategy implications oh, because it's going to allow, uh, a lot of the cars to switch onto the soft tire. Um, I'm sorry. It'll allow a lot of the cars who are on the soft tire to go much longer before pitting. Um, which potentially will enable teams to switch strategy from a two-stop to a one-stop. Uh, it also allows cars to pit and not lose as much time as they would if everyone else was still going full speed on track. Um, Giovinazzi opted to come in, but had a disastrous stop, something I've never seen or even heard about before. The medium tires are about to go on when a pit crew member uh, holds up his arms in an X and then pounds on the tire with his fist Apparently indicating that the new tire was itself flat. Well, you can see it, just, it flexes like it's slack when he does yeah. it. Like it's like a it's it's like a drum surface where there's just a huge amount of flexion uh, when he bangs on it. I've never seen it in my life. I've never seen a new tire come out and be busted uh, like that. And it wasn't obvious. Like you did need to sort of squeeze it and put pressure down to yeah. realize the PSI because it's got to be as heavy as it is. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like a, yeah. yeah, the um, Alfa Romeo head of track engineering, Zevi Pujilar, in this quote from Autosport, um, says that the, the tire was all right when they checked it before the start of the race. And they have a bunch of monitoring stuff. <clears throat> His quote here says, uh, it was an operational problem when just picking up the set at one point when getting everything ready in the garage uh, that damaged the valve. We've got a monitoring system. Ah. It was okay when the race started, but at some point in the garage, then it went wrong a couple laps before the pit stop. So I guess moving it around, you know, the valve got stuck on something or somehow was damaged that That's caused amazing. the tire to deflate. Which, but, yeah, because you're like, how else does a tire that big deflate that quickly? Like, yeah. At that point. But like, you know, operationally, a mess up, but in terms of their operation during the pit stop, like everything's working great because they found the problem and rectified it like it would have been you know and they did it relatively fast like they knew what to do it seemed like with yeah. this thing that has basically never happened before maybe in f1 they actually like cleaned it up pretty quickly which is cool yeah so due to the regulations that state that the tires have to be a part of a set that meant that the other three tires also had to be swapped out <laughs> so the team had to run back into the garage and get them uh, resulting in about a 40 second stop for giovanazzi I do sometimes um, wonder about the set rule. Like, I understand keeping the sets apart from drivers, keeping them separate that way. But, like, if you have a your own set of, like, mediums out there that's in there, I sometimes wonder whether or not it's not overly harsh that you have to keep them together as a unified set um, if if they've got the same wear. Like, I don't I bet know. bet there's some reason, like, like 
there's some tactic some team would pull off that we didn't think of like they'll swap the rears <laughs> in the fronts or they'll you know like they'll, they'll do something weird with it but I, I do wonder why that is i wonder what they did with the other ones then do they keep them or do they you know auction I, them off? i expect that it has something to do with the way that you have to hand back the yeah. sets to pirelli for analysis oh maybe after the race yeah um, yeah i don't know uh williams opted for a double stack pit stop here which are always fun mm. um setting them up for a one-stop race and i guess just to summarize russell's race here he was running in 10th place at one point but eventually those tires fell off and he drifted outside the points which is kind of a bummer um still though he said after the race in this quote from autosport uh quote the car felt today the best it has ever felt in a race and probably wow. the best i can remember uh, that is what makes it so joyous to drive compared to normal, uh, most of which I put down to a calm day. We know the beast we have. Does he mean it's not windy? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a point where the wind kicked up and he was like, oh boy, it feels yes. like it's getting windy. <laughs> You're right. It was like, it's like something out of a, like an anime or something. It's like his, it's like his kryptonite, you know, it's like, oh no, here comes the wind. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love it. It wasn't wind even watch. that bad. Also, it was like a three we... kilometer an hour breeze, and he was like, Oh, here, <laughs> oh shit, here we go again. Here we go again. <laughs> Spin it all over the place. The other, in terms of team radio, we also got the interesting uh, Toto Wolf calling Michael Massey. Um, uh, was that this? That's much later. Is it much later? Oh, really? Yeah, lap 26. Oh, wow. Um, we restart on lap 11. Verstappen gets away pretty well, keeping ahead of Hamilton. But he um, lost, just, he lost, like, he was way ahead of Hamilton by the time safety car, like, eight or nine seconds, was it? By the time, what? The safety car happened. He lost a huge, he had a massive advantage when oh, the safety yeah. car happened because of Sonoda. Yeah, he lost all that, but he he had accrued a bigger gap, I think, that we saw between first and second for the entire race, aside from pit stops. Yeah. Um, back in the pack, Stroll is hounding Fernando Alonso, trying to get... Uh, by on the outside of turn four for 10th mm. place they pull even in the end which gives stroll the inside advantage uh, on turn five and uh, he takes the position um ghastly lap 19 has to serve a five second penalty for being out of position at the start yeah you can see it pretty clearly from the replay like his front tires are completely over the the white line um and they pointed this out on the on the radio or on the broadcast when you look from the top at a grid spot there are the white there's the white box basically that your car has to be in but there's also you know maybe 15 percent of the way down that box is a white or a yellow, yellow. line that mm. sticks out to the right and that's so the driver because the driver can't see the white box but he can see that yellow line and uh i don't know if he wasn't looking or what uh he said after the race i'm sorry for the penalty i thought i was fine but that's just very silly uh, he also got a penalty point on his license uh, for that. Killer. Uh, around this time, Hamilton reports that his tires are starting to go, which is <laughs> it's just a cliche at this point. <laughs> um, and on lap 25, Verstappen pits from the lead to prevent Hamilton from undercutting him. So he's he's afraid that Hamilton Hamilton will stop um, you know, from behind him, put on new tires, and then lap much faster uh, so that when... Verstappen pulls in and comes back out. Hamilton will be ahead. Uh, but it is a slow stop for Verstappen at 4.2 seconds, um, which the commentators surmised that maybe because it was a late decision. And in fact, it was a very late decision. Uh, Christian, Horner, Christian Horner, the team principal for 
Red Bull says in this quote from Autosport, he called himself in. So we were not expecting him, which is why the pits weren't ready. And wow. That's why the stop was a second longer. Um, but jokes on them. Hamilton's tires actually are not that bad. I think a short while he says uh, tires are OK. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, um, there was a lot of team radio stuff going on because also Hamilton didn't seem to the, when they called him in. Didn't it kind of flew under the radar as well? Like they didn't say box; they they maybe used a code word or something. Yeah, maybe. Well, but this is when we get that that lap twenty six uh, message to to yes. race control. This is where Toto. the race gets interesting. Like what interest there is in the race, I think this is where it comes in because it feels like Mercedes had the idea that they wanted to reply within a lap and make up the pace on that on that lap as Verstappen's coming out and uh, Hamilton is theoretically near the end of the stint and he gets checked up a bit by Mazepin and that's where you get Toto on the radio to uh, Massey being like Mikey uh, he's going to cost us this the position uh, yeah. you got to do something about this guy um, and I think at that point they go on to a what well, seems like a riskier strategy once once it was clear he'd lost he wasn't going to get the time on that lap yeah his tires were better but they they did sort of have to accept that they were going to lose the position when they did bring hamilton in that like and not just lose it but like lose it by a a pretty wide margin he was going to fall pretty far uh astern of verstappen the question is whether that's going to matter um, because the thing we hadn't seen is both these cars running at race pace on the mediums mm. and boy, howdy, uh, once we got a taste of that, like Horner called it immediately. Like once that, once that pit stop, uh, like it carried out on like 29, uh, lap 29, um, I think Horner called it immediately where he's like, oh, this is going to be a repeat of Hungary. Um, it was, yeah. it was either this stop or the next one where Hamilton rotated and like basically like got a fresh clip, uh, for his attack on, on Verstappen. But like Horner kind of knew what the play, uh, was, was going to be, it was going to be, they were going to use their pace advantage on the harder tires and their ability to like get more life out of them. Uh, and Verstappen was never in a position where he could reply. Um, and so there, there wasn't. It was exciting. There was the race pace. There was the race pace issue, and then I, I don't want to jump the gun a bit, yeah. but there's also the track position issue when it comes to the second driver, which and in in a track in which overtaking is a nightmare, they really did not want to get stuck behind Bottas, and you did not have Perez in the mix to hold him up or create a pocket or or force him to pit by doing an undercut, a threatening Bottas's position. Leclerc was the one that was in, in the middle there. So it just, yeah, it was like a slow motion car crash, I bet, for Red Bull, because, you know, strategy-wise, it wasn't great. But also, the, even with Captain Hindsight, there's not really much I don't think they could have done. So what, what Mercedes does do is, is, like you said, Rob, lap 29, they pit Hamilton for medium tires, um, which will be four laps newer than Verstappen's and may give him the advantage toward the end of the race. But, it, you know, Mercedes doesn't think that the medium tire is going to last that long, I guess, and pits Hamilton again on lap 42. Um, well, I think 
I think in some ways it was also an issue of they didn't anticipate how commanding the pace advantage was going to be like. Yeah, because Hamilton comes back out. He's 22 seconds behind Verstappen after doing that second stop with 22 laps to go. Yeah. And 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 on the team radio, they say he'll catch you by the last lap, which was not the case. They, he, he caught Verstappen with like six laps left. Yeah, so with I that, think they with were that saying first that tire to change, like the theory was, well, he'll, this is going to all happen at the end of the race. And instead, Hamilton just hoovered up the distance. And again, like why this circuit is a problem. Hamilton had all the pace in the world on this first set of mediums, and he still couldn't do it. Like you, you watched him try to pull into DRS range, and like sector three got him every time. Uh, and even once he did close up, there wasn't enough space with the toe uh, to close the deal. And so he basically like at that point, they went to a different plan, which was we will just pit the car again and eat this distance up again and do it in the last lap. So like that was the part where I felt like um, this was the thing that was not expected was that the pace wasn't comparable on the mediums that like the Mercedes completely had it to the point where they had an entire extra pit stop and change yeah. to get this done. And I think mm-hmm. Verstappen couldn't reply because if he, if he tried to get fresh tires on Hamilton probably would have just driven off into the distance on that set um, and gone to the end. Yeah. A couple things here before we get to um, Hamilton charging up the field. Perez on lap 46 takes a huge lunge down the outside of turn one on Ricardo and taking fifth place uh, and makes it look easy. Um, shortly later, lap 50, Signs also gets by McLaren in this spot. This time it's Norris for eighth place. Uh, Norris defended pretty late here, but Signs' reflexes prevented any contact. Mm. Uh, Norris was shown a black and white flag for this. Oh, he was. There's a warning from race control for unsporting conduct. Uh, he was apologetic after the race, saying um, in this quote from race fans, I was going to defend uh, from Carlos and I moved over and then I moved again slightly, which you're really not allowed to do. So I didn't mean to do anything aggressive. I knew he was coming past. So that was just the way it is. But I, I didn't mean anything. Mm. Uh, I, I got to imagine instinct is takes over in a lot of these situations. Yeah. Um, and signs was closing fast. So I wonder if he didn't even expect him to come as fast as as he did maybe maybe. it made it look worse maybe uh was also warned for weaving on the straight which really you don't hear very often either Mm. they had him like the replay they showed was pretty was pretty bad um yeah like it wasn't it, it, it wasn't a good moment no um not a good moment for voucher botas lap 52 uh danny you want to take this one what I'm trying to remember, I can't even remember. Well, this is I'm when uh, he's he's told a couple times not to hold Hamilton up. Yeah, you're oh, yeah. So this strategy. is interesting because after the fact, so yeah, he's so they're on different strategies. Clearly, they're on different strategies. Clearly, obviously, Hamilton's had an ex, extra pit. He's he's flying out the pack. He's chasing uh, Verstappen. It is an annoying um, 
circuit to overtake on even to close that gap as rob was saying so like you're gonna need rodas to basically take his foot off the pedal and let him pass um and he doesn't do it and we're like oh here we go it's the silver war again they're they're fighting in spain remember when this happened at rosberg and they had that really nasty crash on the first turn it's like we associate this track with a little bit of that um a little bit of that in 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 inter-team fighting uh, at mercedes uh apparently according to patas after the race he didn't get the message so he thought they were racing for position so i'm not sure if that holds water or if that's well that's him. weird because he also he said <laughs> he said something where he was like i was doing my own race and i was concerned about losing pace to uh leclerc and so he was he said he was like worried about handing the 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 position over uh because also he was worried he was going to lose too much time uh so there were there were some weird miscommunications because the other thing is Hamilton after the race was like I didn't know Valtteri had been told to pull off. Uh, he was like I thought we were racing for position and uh, it was fine. I have no problems with Valtteri. So Hamilton didn't notice really that Valtteri was interfering with his race and not not on script <laughs> and it didn't matter because uh, he, he he waxed him pretty pretty easily. Uh, he definitely cost him time, um, but it didn't turn out to be much of a speed bump for Hamilton. Um, and I think it was just one of those things. I think it is it portends interesting things for Valtteri's relationship to the pit wall uh, and to the team for the rest of the season. I have a uh, quote here from Toto Wolf uh, from Race Fans. He says, quote, I can relate to Valtteri that he had a tough day again and you're annoyed. Uh, if we would have lost the race, it would be more critical. But at in the end, it's something we can learn from. Uh, and it goes both directions. And this is what we will be discussing, but in a very camaraderie-like way. Did he do it on 10? Was it turn 10, I think, he eventually got passed? Um, uh, yes. Into that, yeah. So there you go. Maybe if your teammate moves over, you can overtake on turn 10. I, I wonder if I misinterpreted that line of... I didn't know there was a message as Hamilton and not Bottas. Then that, oh, makes, a, it could be. that makes a bit more sense. Um, it That didn't really seem to slow down Hamilton too much because he closes the 11 second gap to Verstappen in seven laps. Woof. And overtakes him on the outside of turn one with DRS. Yeah. Not even a problem. Um, around this time, both Alpines are coming under fire. Ocon from Norris and a big train behind Alonso, who's oh, in 10th. Yeah. Alonso did report an engine issue on lap 30. Um, they were also, so like, like, pretty optimistic with the one-stop strategy they put him on. Like, I think this was kind yeah. of the chickens coming home to roost on his tire wear. Yeah, so it's Alonso, Stroll, Raikkonen, Gasly, and Vettel. Lap 61 saw Stroll attempt to move on Alonso, but Alonso pushes him wide, causing Stroll to go off track. Um, Stroll then rejoin incorrectly, there's a cone, all right, bollard that you are supposed to go on a certain, like the left side of, and he went the on the right. bollard. Yeah. Uh, he was eventually cleared for this, though. The stewards, I guess, determining that he did make an effort, but he, you know, sometimes they say, like, try to make it, but if you are going to, in, like, do some dangerous move to get there, don't worry yeah, If you're it. forced off the track as well, I think, is, is, is part of it, because okay. then you have less time to make the move. Yeah, Alonso also escaped a penalty for pushing Stroll wide for similar reasons. Like, they yeah. determined that he tr- did try to... Like, he didn't do it on purpose. He did try to turn his car. Um, so, yeah, both of them were, were cleared for that. I think Stroll did end up getting ahead, but gave the place back. 
Um, lap 62, Norris gets by Ocon easily with DRS for eighth place. And then further behind Alonso, Gasly gets by Raikkonen through 10's turn and 11 into 12th. And then Stroll finally does get by Alonso at turn one for 10th, followed by Gasly around the outside of turn four. Uh, and then one lap later, Gasly goes for the pass on Stroll on the start finish straight. And Stroll also moves way late. And Gasly has to dodge at the last second, uh, similar to the Norris move earlier but yeah kind um, of uh, remarkable we didn't have any contact in this race especially if you watched any of the f3 races <laughs> um which had a lot of especially on that first two turns there was uh multiple leader to second car contacts in one race with different leaders and different second cars um go check out the youtube channel for formula one if you want to check out little highlight packages of f3 the second race is bananas also it's got a schumacher and a fittipaldi racing each other which is something you don't see very often <laughs> that's a uh, david ralph's son uh there did end up being gaps for botas and verstappen to pit and put on new tires to try for fastest laps <laughs> and verstappen uh came out on top on that one um but yeah hamilton cruised to another victory uh he has won i think five in a row in spain his best ever start to a season as well this year yeah i know i I, all the our preseason prime or all the like chat about like for whatever reason, I don't know what's happening. These the mid pack is entertaining, but we're getting a lot of hamver bots, man. Yeah, agreed. I, I I feel like it's I feel like it's coming. Yeah, me too. But I also felt like uh, I, I think I predicted last year at the at the start that like points for Williams are coming, and it just never. It always yeah. felt like maybe maybe, and it never got there. So I hope this is not Look, the if, same. If the, if the next race isn't a bit of a cluster then uh, we have a lot of Danny, the re- next race is monaco I, yes but it, just th- just think about mazepin just think about <laughs> like he could like austin powers it somewhere in there that's I'm true sure. like we need yeah exactly <laughs> something like that also yeah it w- wasn't it weird that we also had formula e in monaco this past weekend there was a lot of racing this weekend a lot of racing yeah uh but the result of the spanish grand prix of 2021 lewis hamilton on top Max Verstappen in second and Valtteri Bottas in third. Holding on to fourth place, Charles Leclerc. Way to go, Chuck. Uh, And then Sergio Perez made his way up to fifth. Danny Rick in sixth. Carlos Sainz in seventh. Lando Norris in eighth. Uh, McLaren, the only team to score double points in every race so far. Um, Mm. Esteban Ocon in ninth. Pierre Gasly in tenth. The final points paying position. And behind him, Stroll, Raikkonen, Fettel. Uh, Russell in 14th. Followed by Giovinazzi, Latifi, uh, Alonso. Um, Latifi almost lost it on the penultimate corner, uh, prompting Alonso to say something over the radio like, the Williams is going off track just for fun or something. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Alonso in 17th, Mick Schumacher 18th, Nikita Mazepin 19th, and not classified was Yuki Tsunoda after that uh, DNF for Mm. his engine. And for Stappen with the additional point for fastest lap uh driver standings that leaves us with lewis hamilton on top with 94 points max verstappen's in second with 80 valtteri botas third with 47 mm. lando norris has 41 and charles leclerc with 40 that's close 
Uh, Sergio Perez is in sixth with 32. Danny Rick has 24. Uh, Signs with 20. Esteban Ocon with 10. Pierre Gasly in 10th place with 8 points. Lance Stroll's got 5. So does Fernando Alonso. Yuki Tsunoda has 2. And then we've got Raikkonen, Giovinazzi, Vettel, Russell, Schumacher, Latifi, and Mazaspin with 0. Oh boy. It's official now, is it? Uh, yeah, that's how it's listed on the website. Um, <laughs> constructor standings, Mercedes is on top with 141. Red Bull's got 112. McLaren, again, with those double points, they're in a solid third with 65. Ferrari, though, is closing in fourth place with 60. Um, Alpine has 15. There's the gap. Uh, Alpha Tauri has 10. Aston Martin with 5. Alfa Romeo and Williams and Haas all have zero and that's the race that's it everybody should we take it to uh, the news let's do it let's talk about drivers rob yeah the uh silly season kind of revolves around mercedes uh this year at least so far and one of the Big question marks was, does Hamilton want to continue in the sport? Well, that's been answered. Uh, Hamilton said this week that he wants a new contract with Mercedes before the summer break. Uh, He said, we never want to be in the position that we were in January and February. It ruined my whole winter, and I'm sure it wasn't helpful for Toto in terms of being uh, in in terms of being uh, to be off and relaxed. So it felt like we didn't really have much of a break. Uh, these deals are very complex. It's never a, si- a super simple procedure. And so hopefully soon we can start as long as it doesn't interfere with the actual job. We have 19 races to do, but it would be great to get something in place before the break. Uh, and then we could have a uh, clear picture of the future. So my guess is that means Hamilton's going to get that deal. Um, I don't see them like failing to sign Hamilton. I don't think they're in any like there's no upshot to Jerry Krausing the situation and like blowing up a winning combination. But the question is, does that combination like that exact combination stay uh, with Hamilton, Botas and uh, all of them being under Mercedes? Because Mercedes has two drivers uh, that they basically have some options on at the end of this year. Uh, Russell is a free agent once his Williams deal wraps up. Um, And I think that might be up this year. And so with Botas on a one-year deal that expires at the end of this year, if they wanted to make a switch, uh, this would be a moment to do that. Uh, Meanwhile, Ocon also has his option ending. Now, he has a... He is a Mercedes driver, uh, but he has a deal uh, with Renault where and it's, Wolf basically poured cold water on this. He's like, Ocon has to work things out with Alpine. It really mm-hmm. He is a works driver for Alpine now. It comes down to where they are with that relationship. Um, he's been doing okay over at Alpine. Yes. So I think yep. the vibe is, I think Ocon's probably out of contention for that uh, Mercedes spot. That sort of seemed like, you know, Wolf being like, it is on Ocon now to make a go of it at Alpine. Russell becomes the interesting one uh, because one, I think Hamilton genuinely likes him. Um, and two, I think it's hard not to look at Botas's kind of lackluster performances in the car and not wonder like what Russell could be getting out of them. 
Especially considering the one time they were toe-to-toe, Russell did perform better. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't his fault that they botched all the pit stop. Um Yeah. And also I think there I I do I hadn't considered it before, but Rob's point a couple of weeks back about the possible damage that having Russell in that Williams for in another season <laughs> like there's still like nine almost 20 races left this season uh do you really want to put him through a third season of being in that williams like at that stage it's been four years since he was racing at the front like that's mm-hmm. an, in a young driver that's you know not ideal yeah i mean the 2022 regulations are going to be really different uh williams does have will have had a year under their new owners with a lot more money so mm-hmm. Life at Williams could be different. Um, sure. I don't know if Mercedes would want to kill the golden goose that is Hamilton and Botas, because that, whatever the dynamic is there, it's working. Um, however, there are a lot, like we had a lot of driver changes for this year. We could have a lot more for next year too. There are a lot of contracts that are um, confirmed to be up at the end of this year. Uh, Ocon, Hamilton, Perez, um, and a lot that uh, we guess are at, at ending um, at the end of this year, like both alphas. Um, oh, I guess all four alphas, Romeos <laughs> and Tauris. Um, Vettel's contract might be a one year. Um, Schumacher's might be a one year. Um, Botas's might end this year. Uh, and Latifi's. So anything can happen yeah that's true yeah i wouldn't be surprised to see williams maybe jump for another driver as well to to fill either seat or both with a new car it could be a real sea change season for them i think if you're mercedes it's got to be a little nerve-wracking too because okay so say hamilton stays for one more year and Mm -hmm. but at some point like he wants out and meanwhile, Russell moves on to a different team and like Schumacher the, moves on to a different team. Yeah. The word on Russell is, is still like people think he's going to be one of the best drivers of his generation. I think there's to a degree um, an incentive to try to to lock that guy down for the next era. And so as good as Hamilton is, you don't look at him and say, well, he's he's going to be here for like, you know, five to ten more years. That's probably not in the cards. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I think it's, it's kind of, it's kind of go or no go time, uh, for Mercedes and Russell. I think if you're really, or if you're Russell, if you're not able to go to Mercedes, where do you go? Alfa Romeo? No. Alfa Tauri? Mm, probably not. Aston Martin? Maybe. But they don't seem so hot. Um, certainly not Haas. Ferrari's locked up. McLaren's locked up. Not Red Bull. That's not going to happen. So why not roll the dice with the team you know? I I think there's another interesting, just to sort of like vibe off of what Rob was saying in terms of Russell, you know, maybe having a bit of trouble in that Williams or or the effect that it might have on him. If If you compare him to like Lando, who is like night and day a different driver to what he was two years ago. And that's not because he was languishing at the back. That's because he's been with teammates who are now driving a Ferrari. You know, his current teammate is a multiple race winner. He's in a car which has gone from 
lower in the pack to like pretty close to the top. And he's also two years younger than Russell. So like at a certain stage, you look at the trajectory of the two of them, right? Where Lando maybe came in as a bit more of a an unknown. Uh, Russell came in, has always sort of had this association, be it through the Toto stuff or, and also obviously his on-track performances uh, prior to F1, but you know, that he is this up and comer, but they're also like on two different sort of trajectories. So like once that decision comes down as well, especially if Lando keeps performing well this year, he didn't have a great race this weekend, but I think it again is an uncomfortable, you know, comparison you can make, especially if you do the whole, you know, because they're both young British drivers as well. And they're, so I think Russell probably wants to get in that mark sooner rather than later. Yeah. Well, speaking of filling seats in Mercedes is Danny. Yeah. Um, uh, your, your sort of, uh, last news, good feel good story of the week, uh, this week is with a famous IndyCar driver, Roman Grosjean. Um, although he doesn't like ovals yet. Um, he is getting his drive, his final F1 drive. The one that was sort of Toto after the crash last year, live on television, I think I remember him saying it, that like if there was a way that they could help him out by giving him a drive, then they'd be happy to do so. And we were kind of thinking, would that happen in Abu Dhabi maybe or something like that? Um, it didn't. He didn't get back in a car last year. His hands uh, were, were pretty badly damaged. But last March, sorry, this March, um, he visited the Mercedes factory, Roman Grosjean did, in Brackley and got fitted for their championship winning car last year which he is going to get to drive around everyone's favorite f1 track um circuit paul ricard which actually is his local slash home track even though he's swiss i guess he lives down there and closer to there than monaco maybe um but it's his uh it's his home track. And I got a quote here from him. He says, I'm so excited to jump back in an F1 car. It will be a special opportunity for me to drive a world championship winning Mercedes. It will be a unique experience. I'm very grateful to Mercedes, F1, and to Toto for the opportunity. The first I heard about the chance to drive a Mercedes was in my hospital bed in Bahrain when Toto was speaking to the media and made the invitation. Wow. Reading that news cheered me up a lot. F1 didn't get the chance to race in France during 2020 because of COVID. So driving a Mercedes at the French Grand Prix in 2021 and then completing a test at the circuit, Paul Ricard, my home track, will be so special. I can't wait for the day to arrive. Happy days for Roman Grosjean. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. Watch the socials, I guess, for video from that. Exactly. Um, A couple other good videos from the feed this week were... Feed me. Um, Feed me. Uh, Robert Wickens getting back behind the wheel of a race car. Uh, he is the um, Canadian IndyCar driver that was um, in a, an accident that uh, caused him paralysis um, below the below the chest, I think, or b- below the hips. Um, he got in a what was this? A Brian Herta Autosport Hyundai Veloster TCR. Ooh. which runs in the IMSA um, Michelin Pilot Series. And it's it's cool. He's got a, uh, a first-person camera that I'll, I'll post in the show notes. And it's a wheel with hand control. So you've got the steering wheel. And then on top of it is another like circular plate that you push in for throttle. And then behind the steering wheel is another ring that you pull toward you for brake. Wow. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. I, he's he chalks up the the biggest 
hurdle though to getting back into a racing series is going to be finances um interesting because huh. i mean yeah. he's you know he's a pro he he can drive cars no matter what the controls are so uh, there were some interesting chats with one man sorry one manuel correa as well who obviously competed in f3 this past weekend um with regards to his rehab on his foot because he can't i think his ankle is pretty much fused on one of his feet um but he he has movement in both legs uh but yeah he said the the biggest struggle so far is basically having strength in the legs for a breaking and stuff like that mm-hmm. um so but uh he performed you know in the races and, and it, it, you know i can't remember exactly how he did but he you know wasn't involved in any incidents and was racy so um great to see cool and then the last cool video uh carlos signs showed off his ferrari steering wheel and how it all works and what the buttons do and the wheels Ooh. and stuff. Um, this is probably one of the best. I've seen a number of these. This is probably the best one that I've seen because oftentimes they just kind of gloss over stuff. Carlos does kind of a deep dive here. So, um, Rob, you you said you enjoyed this too. Yeah, I did. Uh, this wasn't just a like, gee, look at all these buttons. It was a pretty decent <laughs> tour of like what you were interacting with and changing on a lap by lap basis. Also, awesome. really did make me realize these cars are hard to drive um this, this <laughs> yeah. like it is constant um so that also made me realize like this is a part like we know those wheels are complicated i think we still kind of allied in our understanding just how much like pilots uh these guys are jet pilots uh well that's the news um in fantasy standings you can join our fantasy league by the way by clicking in the link in the show notes and or using the league invite code um in the spain round the top three we actually have a tie for uh second and third between from portugal mock gogo and from canada the meme team and then top step of the spanish podium from mexico status quo f1 (laughs) (laughs) commentary on the podium perhaps uh overall though over four races in third place from Canada, Paul McCartney's Red Bull gives you wings. Hmm. Very good. Uh, from America in second place, Danny Rick's smile. And it's a big one. A familiar name at the top from Sweden, Scuderia Speedy People. Beautiful. I'm uh, I'm not doing so hot. My best team is Ham- in 490th. Hamverbot, man. Just hamverbot your way around the whole thing. Just You can't add all of them. They won't let you. Hamverbot. <laughs> Use cheats. Uh, Buy more card packs. Is that how it works? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, let's take it to emails, Danny. Sure. Uh, Shift podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash email. Rob, you want to read this first one from Nick? Sure. Nick writes, hey, guys. Today, I want to talk about some of Zach Brown's deals with drivers for the year. As of now, throughout all of the teams he is involved with in all types of motorsports, there are two major ones. The first is with Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel is a huge fan of Dale Earnhardt, having grown up watching him race from Australia. It's part of the reason he chose the number three in F1. Zach Brown's massive car collection, managed by his race team United Autosports, includes a 1984 Dale Senior Chevy. 
Dan- Daniel has been offered the chance to drive it if he can clinch that podium. This deal is a good one, and it's the better known of the two deals he has made so far this year. Zach's other deal is with Aero McLaren SP driver Pato Award. Pato is one of the rising stars of IndyCar, and he was promised a drive for McLaren Formula One at the Abu Dhabi Young Drivers Test if he won a race for McLaren at IndyCar. Well, at the Texas Double Header last week, Pato matched to charge to the front and win race two, thus guaranteeing him the postseason test. These deals of Zach's have raised so many questions to me. Should other teams start offering non-conventional motivations to their drivers? Could Zach's dealings in both Indy and F1 bring an Indy star to F1 like the days of old? Last in three Indy drivers who came to F1 are Sebastian Bourdais, uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, and Jacques Villeneuve. Will Zach ever stop being a likable man? I'd love to hear your <laughs> thoughts. Thanks for the great show every week. Um, so, my take on this is these are cute deals, and they're <laughs> basically meaningless. Like... Driver motivation is not something you really need to solve with, like, fun little treats. Like, these guys get all kinds of opportunities to drive cool shit. This isn't like Roman, like, and his valedictory tour of racing, like, getting a right. shot in a Mercedes. Uh, like, I think with Ricardo, Ricardo loves making laddish bar bets uh, about stuff. It's a way to, like... It showcases personality. It humanizes yeah. both driver and team owner and makes it seem like less transactional in some ways. With Pato, I think the I, like this is kind of what um, Mario was alluding to a couple weeks ago. There are other reasons there's a problem developing a pipeline between IndyCar and uh, and F1. I think one of the big ones is I'm not sure that super license points accrue for performance in IndyCar. And they do. They do? Yeah. Then, yeah. Uh, but, like, there is a... The thing that Mario sort of flagged is just they're not looking for talent in IndyCar, and there doesn't seem to be a connection between the two. Um, they're not looking for talent that isn't very young these days yeah so like if, if you're good at indycar you're not 19 pato's a, yeah, pato's a young guy pato, i mean patricio ward is a young guy but he's not he's not going to leave indy now well and also all the teams like, want their driver development programs they also have they're obliged yes. to right funnel their own pipelines into the sport and they're deep they are deep yeah look, i mean look at f3 look at just look how many drivers are on the grid and how many of them are team drivers with one of them like with alpine with ferrari with red bull that being said i can kind of give a you're going um a, a quick overview of that mercedes has four young drivers right now um alfa romeo has eight <laughs> alpine has five um eight ferrari's got <laughs> seven mclaren has one uh who is an american actually um and red bull alpha tauri has eight who's the mclaren um his name is ugo ugo chukwu he's mm. a, in he's in karting so they're getting oh. him young oh right okay god he's like oh yeah yeah so you know cool to see pato award in an f1 car but that would yeah. be cool. It doesn't happen all that often, right? I mean, I think only 20 seats. Long term, Zach is a smart business guy. That's clear. Yeah. I do and think he's personable. 
he will recognize. I think I think Zach Brown, the people in IndyCar recognize they have an interest in this. F1 realizes they have an interest in creating some sort of crossover from American racing into uh, in F1. And so I do think like at some point they probably need to see this for the growth of the sport. I don't know if Pato would be the, the guy they'd go with. Um, he's real good. Um, but I think they would like, I, like one of the reasons Mario was pushing Colton Hurt out was like, put that big all American flag on, on the driver's car. Uh, you know, Pato as, a Irish American Mexican uh, who is a citizen of Mexico. Um, <laughs> I, I think he, he he's great. He's a compelling driver, um, but I, I think we might see someone else get the nod first. I do think um, if anyone could create some crossover between the worlds of those worlds of racing, Zach Brown, who who has sort of put McLaren in all these spaces, might mm-hmm. be someone to try and arrange it. I love Pato Award as a Irish. The only I think I've mentioned it before, but the only other Irish Mexican collaboration I know was a Mexican Irish fusion restaurant in my hometown, which only lasted for about six months with the title Paddy Gonzalez, which I thought oh was pretty good. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh, should I take this one from Sam? Yeah, do it. Sam says, hey, Speedy Boys, I've spent the past week touring the Finger Lakes in upstate New York, mostly pretending to get hints of stone fruit during wine tastings. Wow. Uh, However, we have some time to kill in the town of Watkins Glen. It rang a bell, but I didn't put it together until I saw the checkered flag pedestrian crossings. We drove up to the circuit and spoke (laughs) to the attendant at the gate and asked if we could watch the drivers on circuit as we could hear a few cars going around the track. He said that unfortunately we couldn't due to COVID restrictions, but then he asked us if we wanted to put our rental hybrid Toyota Corolla on the track. Mm. We hung out for a while before a pace car led us and five other cars around the track for three laps. The things that stood out were the elevation changes and how narrow parts of the circuit were. It seems impossible that cars could overtake each other there. We weren't really going that fast, although listening to the F1 theme and the teriyaki boys made it feel more intense, only around (laughs) 70 miles per hour tops. But the feeling going through the chicane made me feel like the car was about to roll and I was bricking it the entire time. I definitely left with an even greater respect for what race drivers do. Has anyone on the pod driven at a circuit? If not, what circuit would you like to take a spin at? Thanks, Sam. That's so cool. Wow. I I love the idea that he's just like, wandered up and you're like hey i want to go you want to go? <laughs> yeah. go on watkins glen like, I, go one of those hours, I think i'm like yeah you should do it man rob is like rubbing his his beard that whole time like wait this is a thing <laughs> i can do that sounds cool um, how much to remove I the pace ha- car like well how much do i have to pay to be like <laughs> okay i'll sign what i need to sign like if i if i like <laughs> bin this thing it's on me um Nordschleifer. yeah <laughs> Yeah, the only I, circuit I've ever driven at was a. I did like a um, uh, a drive in for my brother's birthday. We both got a drive in um, like an old stock car around right. a. It was like a quarter mile oval, like very small, um, which was really cool. It was. I had to relearn how to drive a stick again. Right. Like it's something that I know, but like is not ingrained in me to the point where I felt comfortable hopping in a race car. Mm. So I think I've told the story before, but we tried to find a rental manual and there was one in the <laughs> Bay Area. You're kidding. It, when we were scheduled to go do it, uh, it was at a shop because someone had burned out the clutch. You're kidding me. 
Yes. I'm so, surprised they don't have more of them because like I'd never driven an automatic until I moved here. So like if I was a tourist coming to America, I I wouldn't want an automatic. I guess now automatics well, are more easier to go Ireland. the other way. It is then, easier to go the other way, but also it's weird. Like the first time I drove an automatic, I was like, what is going on here? Like, is this like, is this going to, um, if I stop on a hill, will I be able to start without it oh, rolling really? backwards? That type of thing. Cause like, I'm uh, so used to having the clutch and knowing where my boy point is. That's on the, hill. the one part but, I could never like the thought of driving a manual in the Bay area or even out here. Cause we had some decent hills in Massachusetts. I'm like, that's the part where I'm like, I couldn't handle that. The stress there was of one like, rolling hill down. in my hometown called bunkers hill. Cause there was a bunker on the top and it was like, it was like, like, I don't know. It felt like it was like, you know, 45 degrees. Yeah. But it probably wasn't. But, um, that was where everyone did their tests. To, to see and it's a st- and it's funny it's one of those roads that has like a stoplight at the top and then there's a gap on the thing that says like keep clear because the amount of people that roll back like five feet when they're trying to go up because everyone drives manuals at least they did when i was growing up now there's more automatics uh i gotta run uh the short answer is um no i've never driven a car on a circuit but now that seems a lot more uh, achievable so tbd totally uh take yeah. care off to get shot number two yes c- right. congrats congrats good luck, and good Rob. luck um, I would love to drive Laguna Seca. Yeah, like just to the do corkscrew. the corkscrew and yeah, Ugh. to see I what would, it's I like. Would love to do that. I bet it feels it's like the same as anything. Like when we went to Circuit of the Americas, really seeing how high turn one is because <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like what was it? It's like 120 floors up. You could fit a building between. The start finish straight in the top or something. It's it's insane. I don't think it's 120 Is it floors. not? I thought it was like, oh, maybe I think not. it's 100, maybe 120 feet. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that makes sense. No, I know it. Ah, <laughs> uh, whatever. Somebody shift F1 <laughs> podcast at you. Know, there you go. Let us uh, we also got a few people writing in over Twitter, um, showing us pictures of Daniel Ricardo with a mouth guard. Oh, who interesting. appears to be the only driver who, who uses one, uh, which I still don't really understand. Don't you want to like... I don't know. You might get in an accident. He does have um, a particularly large. I don't. I'm not taking the piss. He does actually have like a particularly large mouth, and like his teeth are very prevalent. So I wonder if it's a particular problem for him, maybe because we're talking about millimeters and centimeters and inches here, yeah. right? When it comes to helmets and all that sort of stuff. He's got him insured. His teeth. Oh, that's a good there's point. Tra- there's trademark, baby. I know. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, that smile. That smile. The smile came up in the already today on the podcast so it's true we love it uh if you you would like to hit us up on twitter you can do so at shift f1 podcast i am at drew scanlon that is at danny o'dwyer rob is at rob zachney that's us around the internet should we take it around the world danny? let's race around the way yeah speaking of american racetracks u.s formula four is back this weekend uh at road america for the spring vintage festival Mm. We also have IndyCar at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course for the GMR Grand Prix. I love Uh, love GNR. It's great. (laughs) GMFNR. Um, (laughs) NASCAR Xfinity Series is at the Dover International Speedway for the Dover 200. MotoGP is in France Mm. for the Shark Grand Prix de France. Jumping the shark. Where is that? Yes. What, what circuit is the French MotoGP? Circuit Bugatti in oh, Le Mans. Okay. There you go. 
the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is in um, Lexington, Ohio, at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course for the Acura Sports Car Challenge. Everyone's driving an Acura. Yep, that's the rule. Same as the Super rules. Formula is at Autopolis. Jesus, we're back. The future. Yes. Autopolis. It's the it's the city in cars, right? The Pixar movie. Yeah, it's the city in Kamitsue Village in Hita City, Oita Prefecture. Oh, Japan. Classic prefecture. And we got NASCAR. Road America. <laughs> they're well, they're all actually at uh, the most American state of Delaware. Delaware. <laughs> For if you hate Dover. corporate taxes, which I know you do because you're American. Oh, yeah. The Dover International Speedway for the Dradine 400. Wow. My darling Dradine. Dradine, I'll meet you at Rehoboth Beach. <laughs> Is that a beach there? That's a beach in Delaware. Yes, from my Maryland days. If you wanted to go to the coast, go to Rehoboth. Head over to Rehoboth Beach. Beautiful, sandy, sunny, lots of lots of amusements. What do you guys call those carnivals? Do you call them amusements? We call sure. them amusements. Amusement park. Amusement parks. Does that also include like if you're just on a beach and there's like a big wheel and a carousel? What would you call that? That's oh, that's more of a boardwalk. Boardwalk. Okay, yeah. Amusements. At the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. Yeah. In the warm California sun. <laughs> boardwalk. Is that a song? These are the commercials. It's the commercials I you would hear on the radio, just, on the television as a kid. Just go to the boardwalk. Do you see one of those in San Francisco? There's still Pier 39. Oh, I meant <laughs> on like your, uh... the ocean beach side. Oh, there was like a, did there really? Yeah, there was like an amusement and a, and a and a boardwalk and stuff. When you go to Santa Cruz, they have like a memorial for all the boardwalks that used to exist. Apparently, there was <laughs> way more of them. <laughs> yeah, like there was it was way more of a thing on the coast. Apparently. Um, yeah, and Santa Cruz is like, we're still here, God damn it. <laughs> wow. Then everyone realized Ocean Beach is freezing cold. So, <laughs> so cold. No one I mean, I grew up on the Atlantic coast and it's like, I thought like, oh, it'll probably be warm there. It's California. It's freezing. Yeah. All year round. Yep. <laughs> uh, we're not freezing. Nope. Um, we're hot we're, Formula One and Monaco. Yeah, there we go. Thank you, Danny. Uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.